0: The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. During the summer months, we're going through a series of messages entitled uh, Age of Kings, where we're looking at many of the different kings of Israel. And we've been asking ourselves this question, what do the kings of Israel reveal to us about the king of kings? And uh, really looking at how God has revealed himself, literally, through these passages. As we've said a couple of times now, this portion of history, That is from about 1100 BC to about 600 BC is some of the richest history known to mankind. And and the reason for that is there were so many historians that were writing history during this time uh, about this place in history. In fact... uh, Regardless of even some of the secular history that was re- written about it, there is a lot of biblical history that is written around this time. In fact, the Old Testament gives us three unique perspectives of this 500-year time span. We see, of course, First and Second Kings was written by an author who gave us a perspective of this 500 years. Uh, we see in First and Second Kings as well a second perspective by a different author of this 500-year span. And then, of course, many of the prophets give us a third perspective of this 500 years. And so this time in history, just very, very rich with a lot of knowledge, we know a whole lot. I mean, literally, as you're reading through this, some of you have had the opportunity of reading through your Bibles, especially these portions. I mean, there are some pretty epic stories that start coming out of these passages. I mean, literally, uh, this is th- these are the stories like that uh, blockbuster movies are made out of. I mean, it's like if, if it wasn't in the Bible, it'd be almost hard to believe some of the things that are happening. And it's just unbelievable. And we have so much that's written about it. And so we've been looking at some of these different kings. Last week, uh, we took some time to look at kings. David, or the reign of King David. And uh, how many of you realize there is a whole lot written about King David in the Bible? I mean, and, and trying to kind of cram something about the life of David, something that his life revealed about the character and nature of God within one or two weeks was going to be terribly difficult. And so, what we decided to do is we decided to go to the very last event in the life of David, which was literally a celebration, the coronation of his son Solomon there becoming king and and at this coronation here we see that David at the celebration he prays a prayer last week we took the time literally to read through that entire prayer and it revealed to us so much about the character of God how God literally revealed himself to David, how God responded to David, and we took that prayer and it it taught us so much about the generosity, the generous heart of our Heavenly Father. So we did part one last week. This week we're going to look at part two two of this uh, message on the reign of David as we summarize his life here in this prayer. In just a moment we're going to be in 1 Chronicles chapter number 29 and uh, we read through this entire passage here a moment ago but today we're just going to focus in on two verses. We'll begin reading in verse number nine and then I'll also read there in verse number 14, alright? Verse number nine and verse number 14. Inside your service program you should find an outline uh, that you can use to follow along through the message. I hope it'll be a help to you as we study the Word of God together this morning. Uh, for those of you who are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand here as we read these two verses. That'll be the launch pad for our sermon here today, First Chronicles uh, chapter number 29. Let's read here in verse number 9. The Bible says in First Chronicles chapter number 29, verse number 9, Then the people rejoiced, For that they offered willingly. Because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. Read down to verse number 14. This is the middle of King David's prayer. He says, Who am I? And what is my people? That we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort. For all things come of thee, and of thine own we have, we, and of thine own have we given thee. This morning I want to take just a little bit of time just to speak on the generosity of God. And how his generosity really inspires our own generosity towards him. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get into this passage. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We love you first and foremost for who you are. You're good. You're holy. You're glorious and you're great. And Lord, we praise you for the very essence of who you are. But Lord, we also are thankful and grateful for not just who you are, but what you are for us. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who live our lives in light of your incredible generosity toward us. Lord, the Bible tells us in Romans that you spared not your son. That you were willing to give your very own son, Lord, on our behalf. And Lord, because of that, there's nothing you'll withhold from us. And Lord, we realize that you are so benevolent. You are so generous. And I pray that our hearts would be gripped by your incredible generosity toward us. And Lord, that it would stir within us, Lord, a generosity toward those around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Last week, uh, how many of you guys heard about this? Uh, Chick-fil-A was doing this giveaway a free meal if you dress like a cow. How many of you heard this? And and some of you maybe saw Friends, posted on Facebook or whatever. And so I was in the office on Friday morning and I had gotten, somebody had walked in or told me, and I forget exactly how it all came together, uh, but hey, they were saying, if you dress up like a cow today, uh, you know, you get a free entire meal at Chick-fil-A. And I'm thinking to myself, this is 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 pretty neat, you know, that'd be kind of fun. And so my wheels are kind of turning, uh, man, how would I go about dressing like a cow so I get a free lunch? You know, and you say, well, you're cheap, Pastor. Hey, you know, a free lunch. What do you, what do, you do? You know? And so I was kind of thinking, I was thinking, well, maybe I could call the family, call my wife, and, and we could get all dressed up. They'd come pick me up, bring me some clothes or something, and we'll go over there and uh, get some lunch and things. And so uh, my wife happened to just stop by the office that day, and as soon as she walked in, uh, she was wearing some black and white polka dots, you know, just a polka dot type of shirt and things. And she walked in. And with this context going through my head, thinking about these, you know, the Chick-fil-A and everything, I just blurted out with any without any context. I see you just like a cow today. <laughs> Bad idea. She looked at me. She said, "What did you say?" That's when I started to realize that I, my mouth had gotten ahead of itself. I said, no, oh, Chick-fil-A, free sandwich, chicken. She's like, what? Yeah, she was again. And finally, I had to explain it to her. And I said, no, I just, I'm sorry. I, I, I should have given more context. I said, hey, if we dress up like cows, we get to get free. So we ended up that evening, we ended up going. And I'm still learning. I've only been married for here uh, just under 11 years. And, and, and one of these days, I'm going to learn. Uh, congratulations to the Fushies. Yesterday was their anniversary. 53 years? Five years. 55 years. Congratulations and uh, that is exciting I'll tell you what I, there's just some things I guess you just learn with age and uh, and uh, those types of things, but I'll tell you what I was man, we went there that night and uh, we found out that some of you guys enjoy a free chicken sandwich as well. I thought we were having a little uh, church fellowship there and it was a, it was a great time and we enjoyed ourselves and, and they, they, they were just being generous. My brother asked me, man how much money do you think they lose on a day like this and, and I just, well yeah I don't know exactly how much, but it just shows a, a generosity uh, that's there and what a, what a wonderful thing that is when we get to experience someone else else's generosity it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful wonderful thing Last week, we really spent the entire service looking at the generosity of God toward us. And literally, for, you know, 45 minutes or so, we looked through this passage and, and, and just kind of allowed this passage to show us and reveal to us just how great, how good, and how generous our God is toward us. And they experienced God's incredible graciousness toward them, and, and they understood that they were the recipients of great grace. They... And so they come to verse number 14 and they give this incredible offering. We talked about it last week. Because they had had the power of money broken over their lives. They were able to give freely because they no longer looked to money to do for them what God was supposed to do for them. Rather than looking to money as their source of security, they looked to God as their source of security. Rather than looking to money as their source of power and control, they looked to God to be their source of power. And it was his promises that was their source of Power. and these people rather than looking to money as the source of the good life and to get what you want out of life they were able to truly see God as the source of the good life and they had money, the power of money broken and so because of that they were free to be generous they were free to give money no longer held them captive to materialism and to greed they had that broken in their lives but here's the question how do we practically grow generous? And this is where we're going to park it today a little bit. You have to take this message in context to last week's message. But how does this practically happen? How, how do we become financially stable so that we can be generous and that's a valid question and a question we're going to take a little bit of time to answer here today All right. so on the screen I think they'll throw this up here a little bit of a kind of a a foundational truth but the bible teaches we'll get to the scripture in a moment that it is not financial stability that creates generosity some people would say well once I get financially stable then I'll be generous what we're going to see today is rather it is generosity that creates financial stability. And in a world that tells us, no, you can be generous one day and you can be generous later because once you get financially stable, then you're free to be generous. The Bible turns this thing on its head and says, no, it is a it is a spirit of generosity that creates financial stability. You say, well, where does the Bible teach that? We can go to a lot of different passages, but the Bible tells us in Luke chapter number 6, 1, give... And then it should be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men add unto you. That it is literally a spirit of generosity, the grace of God working in my heart that allows me to be generous, that literally makes the foundation, it creates the foundation for financial stability in our hearts and in our lives. If you're sitting here today and you're saying, I want to be generous. I'd love to be generous. You've got to understand, Pastor, that's my heart. I just, I'm, not, I'm not there yet financially. You have to understand that the Bible tips this thing up on its head. And says it is not financial stability that creates generosity. No. Rather, it is a spirit of generosity and the grace of generosity working in your heart that creates financial stability. Don't wait to allow the Spirit of God, don't wait to surrender to God's spirit of generosity until you have it all put together. Because you never will. It's not how it works, not in God's economy. God's economy is very clear. It is generosity that creates financial stability. Let's kind of dive into this thing a little bit, all right? How does the Spirit of God lead someone to a place where they can be truly generous? How how does the Spirit of God work? If If I'm truly surrendered to God's Spirit, if it truly is His grace transforming me from the inside out, what does the Spirit of God do practically, literally, to, to allow me to be generous? Let's go through a few things here real quick. All right, number one... The Spirit of God will lead us to live within their means, alright? So what does the Spirit of God do when he's working in somebody's heart? Number one, he's going he's to lead us. He's going to lead people to live within their means. Hebrews chapter number 13 verse 5. If you want to jot this out, you can study these passages later. Hebrews 13 verse 5 tells us, Be content with such things as ye have. There's, there's a ton of scripture verses that teaches us with food, And with raiment, we can be content. The world wants to sell you a lie that you need more to be happy. And I want to say to you today, if you have Jesus Christ, if you have food, if you were able to have some breakfast this morning, if you were able to come with some clothes on, literally the Bible is teaching You have everything you need to be content. You say, well, that doesn't jive very well with kind of modern American philosophy, you know. I understand that. But according to the word of God, we can be content. We can live within our means with those things at our side. The reality is, how many of you would agree, we've all got a lot more than just food and just raiment? We've got, we got a few bonuses, a few cherries on top, if we'd like to call it that. The Spirit of God is always going to lead us to live within our means. Here's another thing the Spirit of God will do, according to wisdom principles. The Spirit of God will lead us to be extremely careful with debt. You see, when the Spirit of God's in control and you're surrendering to His Spirit, He's going to lead us to be extremely careful with debt. Proverbs 22 verse 7 tells us the borrower is servant to the lender. We, we, the Spirit of God, when we're surrendered to Him and His grace is working in our lives, He's going to lead us to be extremely careful with debt in our lives. You, you realize debt is kind of a modern social phenomenon, don't you? The way we use credit cards today, is, this is not the way it's always been. It's kind of a new thing, and honestly, a lot of us suffer at the hands of of this because we just don't know how to we don't know how to wrestle with this thing. <laughs> Somebody once said that debt is like a credit card company giving you an umbrella when it's not raining, only to take it back when it starts raining. <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah, you can have that, and all of a sudden, man, when it, boom, it comes down. I don't say this to brag. I my, my wife could correct me if I'm wrong. Up to this point, and and we've, on a ministerial salary early on, especially, is highly difficult. But we can honestly say, I mean, for 11 years of marriage, I don't think we've ever had a penny of credit card debt. Now, that's not to say we always had money to buy groceries either. I was just very, very wary. And I realize there are some extreme circumstances. I, I've talked to some of you and, and you had a child that went to the hospital and it was like life or death. And it was just, you know, you know and I understand that. I, I'm sure there are places and, and some of you have been in those situations where it was like life and death situation and you had no other option. And praise God for that option. But for some of us the reason we've got the credit card debt is because you know we got a scratch in our couch and then we just felt maybe the Lord was leading us to purchase that $5,000 furniture set, you know, for our bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> you see when the spirit of God's in control, he's going to lead us to be very careful with that. Wisdom would teach this. What else? The spirit of God will lead us number 3. To avoid a spirit of materialism. Proverbs chapter number 15 verse 27. He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house. See as Americans I'm going to just say this. None of us realize when we have an issue, or a problem with greed or materialism. Because everything we have, we've earned, and everything we've got, we need to have. And, and if I, you know, and we just, no, nobody ever has come to me and said, you know what, Pastor, I just gotta be honest with you, I have a real problem with greed. Never. I've had people tell me they've had problems with lust. I've had people come and tell me they've problems with gossip. I've had people tell me they've had problems. I've never had somebody come and say, Pastor, I just gotta be honest with you. I have, I really, I have really struggled with material. It never happened. Because we don't see it. It's like, it's like the sin nobody sees in themselves. After all, we earned it. I deserve it. If I got it, I need it. I wouldn't have gotten it if I didn't need it. And one of the things that the Spirit of God is constantly going to lead you to do is to avoid a spirit of materialism. Notice what it says. He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house. P- people, I'm gonna, I'll throw this out there and I know it might step on a few people's toes. You're, you hurt your own family when all of a sudden debt is driving you to just get that next thing. And I, I'm not against if your kids wear you know designer clothing. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with that. But if you're like having to get in debt to make that happen, it's unwise. You see, the Spirit of God is going to lead me. When I'm truly surrendered to Him, He's going He's to lead me to avoid that. Why? Because it troubles our own house. We're, 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 we're getting ourselves into trouble. Number next... Spirit of God when we're truly yielded to Him and when we really recognize that everything we need we have in Christ that, that everything I could possibly need to be satisfied I have in the person of Jesus Christ and, and when that gospel reality truly grips my heart and that gospel reality truly grips my soul and I, I'm just obsessed with that what I have and what I need I've got in Christ guess what and I surrender that all of a sudden there's going to be a generosity in our giving Acts 20 verse 35 says it's more blessed to give than to receive. We're happier when we give than when we get back. And there's a, the, the Spirit of God is going to lead in a spirit of generosity when the gospel truths are, and the generosity that God has toward us, the, it, when it's authentic, we're going to respond to that generosity. We're going to respond back by being generous in our giving because that's what the Spirit of God did. Man, God says, I, I, there's nothing I wouldn't spare for you. I, I gave you my very own son when I give you all good gifts. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm gracious. I love you and somebody who's really captured with that gospel reality in a way that I would call you know kind of vertically won't be able to help but spread that horizontally one of the indications of a person who's truly been captured by the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ is they're marked by just a radical generosity their lives are marked by it it's one of the indications of somebody who really just gets it Not only are they generous in their giving, but the Spirit of God, according to wisdom and according to the Word of God, is going to teach that they're consistent in their giving. 1 Corinthians 16, 2 says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him. On the first day of the week, there's a consistency to it. There's a pattern to it. And you say, what, what should that pattern be? I think wisdom would say, according to Proverbs chapter number 3, that if we've been blessed that week, we have a responsibility to be generous that week. Not everybody, all of us are in different situations. Some of us get paid weekly. Some of us get paid monthly. Some of us get paid yearly. I know my father-in-law. He gets paid yearly because he's a farmer. He does those kind of things. I, I understand that God blesses us all in different patterns and in different ways. But to the, to the pattern that he blesses us with should be the pattern by which we are generous. There's a consistency in that. What's the spirit of God going to do? Here's next when we're really captured by the grace of Christ and the generosity that he's given toward us, when we truly are, we're not just going through the, we're not just talking the talk, like, oh, praise God for his goodness. Oh, yeah, His oh, grace of God. is when it, It's real, genuine, deep down. It's captured us from the inside out. The natural response to somebody who's been captured by God's incredible generosity toward them. They won't be able to help but be generous toward others to, to, to be consistent and generous in their giving. Next, He'll also lead them to save a percentage of their income. Now, I realize this is not always possible. But a lot of times when I look at people's finances... They're not, they, they, we've gotten to such a place where we, we've convinced ourselves we need things that we just don't need. And I would save if I could, but I can't. Let me give you what the Bible says. The Bible says in Proverbs thirteen twenty two, A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, his grandchildren. It's really difficult to leave an inheritance if you're not saving anything. Now, understand, these are, these are general maxims from the book of Proverbs. These aren't hard and fast rules, you know, bless God, you're not right. These are general wisdom principles that are very wise. It's things the Spirit of God going to lead us in. And what's tough is when our materialistic greedy mindset leads us. We gotta buy this and buy that and buy those things and buy these things. All this kind of stuff to the neglect of just really following basic money guideline. I mean just basic wisdom principles for finances. There's nothing wrong with buying a designer clothing. There's nothing wrong with driving a nice car. There's nothing wrong with living in a beautiful house. As long as it's within the pattern of what God's Word has to say, as long as you're allowing His Spirit to really lead you and not just give kind of verbal affirmation to things of God. But you're truly living generously. And you're truly giving. And you're truly saving. And you're truly allowing the Word of God not just to dictate what you think about, but it, it makes an impact on how you live your life. These, these are things that are generally helpful and wise. To save. I've always encouraged people with this rule. It's, it's a wisdom principle I'll throw out there. I, I really encourage people with the 80-10-10 rule. Generous, 10% to the Lord. 10% to savings. Live on the rest. And if you've got some left over, have, 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 have a party. <laughs> have fun. Enjoy it. God give us all things richly to enjoy. It's a wise principle for living. Wisdom would tell us it's important to save. Wisdom would tell us it's important to be generous. Next. When we're really gripped with what Christ has done for us. And when we, when we, actually, when we actually believe that everything we need we have in Christ that we can be satisfied in what Jesus Christ has done for us that, that Jesus is enough when we not just talk about it but when we really our soul believes that Jesus Christ is enough that we can be satisfied in him and him alone here's what it produces it produces a life that is now free from greed and free from materialism no longer do I have to have that thing because I've got Jesus I'm satisfied in him and if God blesses me with it praise God I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to thank him for it. But I'm not going to cut corners because I want to get my way. I'm not just going to do something just because that's what I want. The, the whole Christian life is not about you. It's about him. And we need to get to a place where the gospel so transforms our heart from the inside out that no longer do we have to have that, you know, whatever it is. If God gives it to us, we praise God for it. But we don't cut corners. We don't, we don't rip off our children's children. To make it happen, we don't we don't put our wife or spouse in a situation where they're always worried about whether or not they're going to be able to pay the credit card debts off. Because man, we just you know we just had to do that thing that just you know we just had to have that vacation, or we just couldn't be satisfied. Praise God if you get to go on a wonderful vacation. I, I hope I hope all of you get to. But here's the point. The point is, God gives us wisdom. And His Spirit leads us to walk in wisdom. But we're not going to walk in wisdom if we're not captured by His grace. If we don't truly believe that everything we have, we've got in Christ. That with food and raiment, we really can be content. It is possible. Based, if you believe the Bible, then it is possible to be at peace, to be content. Lastly, Spirit of God is going to lead us to leverage finances to advance the kingdom of God. As we saw in this passage, these folks literally gave, we saw it last week, billions to the ministry to further the kingdom of God. These people had had generosity, these people had had their materialism and greed broken in that season in their life, and they were free to give because they were captured with what God had done for them. Here we read that whole passage of everything God had given them, and everything God had been done in goodness to them and graciousness to them, and they were just free now. They weren't weren't in bondage to, to greed. They weren't in bondage to materialism. They weren't in bondage to what they want. They were free to give. And when God led them to give and His Spirit led them to give, they said, but all right god i can give i'm i'm not captive to debt anymore i'm not captive to materialism i'm not captive to what i want i'm free i'm free here's what the bible says in context of money the passage matthew chapter number 6 speaks a lot of money and the bible says in matthew 6:33 seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Here's what the Bible is saying. This is is a passage in the context of money. Don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt. We know the passage. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth doth corrupt. Thieves don't break through and steal. And it goes on to say, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Why? Because we're to seek first the kingdom of God. That's what they're doing in this passage. They're levering their finances to advance the kingdom of God. I'm going to say this. When you're captured with the grace of God, heart of your generosity will involve furthering God's kingdom here on earth. So, practically... Because of what Christ has done for me, now I am free to be generous. I'm free to be generous toward the poor. I'm free to be generous toward my family. I'm free to be generous toward future generations. I'm free to be generous toward the Lord's work because the bonds of this slavery to materialism and greed, and I can only be happy if I have this or if I'm wearing that or if I'm driving those things. That's the only way I can be happy. It's the only way I can be satisfied. When people get grasped with, I can be satisfied in Jesus because he's giving me food and he's giving me raiment and anything else he allows by his grace is like praise God they've had that they've had that grip of of materialism taken from them when they really understand that they're recipients of God's incredible grace and goodness all of a sudden here something takes place in their lives let's go back to verse number 14 David cries out after talking about God's goodness and his grace he says who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. Here David is literally saying, He's saying, How could we give what we gave? How is it even possible? And he says, It was we were able to give because God had given to us. Notice, notice that phrase. For all things come of thee. He says, God, how were we even able to give you this offering? How were we able to be so generous? And he, he answers his own rhetorical question. He says, I'll tell you why, God. Because you gave it to us in the first place. It all belonged to you in the first place. That's how we were able to give. Notice verse 16. O oh Lord our God, all this store that we have prepared to build thee in house for thine holy name cometh of thine hand and is all thine own. Here in this passage, King David and the nation of Israel respond to the grace of God with nothing less than radical generosity. We dove into this last week. Remember? I mean, literally, the amount of money. If you read verses number 4, if, you wanna, if you're there in your Bibles, go to verse 4 and verse 7. And you'll notice in verse 7, verse number 4 talks about everything King David gave. And we went through and we talked about the talents and how much that was. And it was like, in current economic terms, it was about, does anybody remember about how many billion? Five billion dollars that David gave as an offering to the ministry. You read down to verse number seven and the people of Israel are so blown away by God's goodness and the leading of their uh, leader there to give and so they give an even bigger offering. Their offering was somewhere in the neighborhood of seven to eight billion dollars if you were to transfer that into modern economic terms. So here are this 13, 14, get this, billion with a B dollar offering being given so the temple could be built that place where they could go to worship God that place where they could really uh, sacrifice the Lord and that place 13 billion dollar offering here was given why? because they kind of got their arm twisted you know what are you going to give and what are you going to give no they got captured with the grace of God and their just heart was overwhelmed to give back there was a spirit of here's the word radical generosity that out of their hearts and out of their lives which leads us to another God centered thing a person really understands and that is this last week we, we, we remind us that when we respond with authentic generosity to the degree we truly understand his grace I'm going to say that one more time we respond with authentic generosity to the degree we really understand or truly understand his grace I'm just going to throw this out here people who really get it people who really understand what Christ has done for them can't help but be generous in return generosity radical generosity is the mark of an individual who's been captured by the grace and goodness of God they're just something when they, they really get it they understand that everything they have came to them from God that every blessing beyond food and raiment, and even that comes from God. There's just what, when you really get it, you can't help but give it because you realize you're not a reservoir hoarding it in. You're a river that lets it pass through, and in the process, God blesses. And in the process, He provides a home. And in the process, He gives you transportation. And in the process, He gives you clothing. And in the process, He lets you take vacation. And in the process, but it's all of Him. It's all His. And we're conduits of his grace to us. Notice this text again. Who am I? Verse 14. And what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort, He says, how is this possible? It was possible because God did so much for us first. (laughs) Here's what the Bible says in the New Testament. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. How can we be generous toward others? It's because Christ first was generous toward us. When we get it, we give it. That's one of the indications of a person who really gets it. It's not just talk, it's not just walking the walk, it's not just talking the talk. When somebody gets it, this is the sign, this is a mark. They're marked by radical generosity. They can't help it. God is a radically generous being. Did you get that? Your God is radically generous. Your heavenly Father is radically benevolent. The creator of the universe bestows so much goodness and so much grace upon your life. You serve a benevolent, gracious, good king. That's who he is. And this king who has been radically generous to you Wants to be radically generous through you. That's how he works. The same, who's, the same God who is generous and benevolent to you wants to be benevolent through you. A heart and life that has been deeply touched by the grace of God. Let me say this: wants. I'll even take it a step further. They have to respond with generosity. They can't help it because something inside of them so has radically changed. That they feel like they have to give back. Notice notice on the screens here. Because our generosity tends to be only as great as our understanding of his grace. The level of our sacrifice and generosity is a great indicator of our true understanding of his goodness in our lives. You say, I want to know how much I really understand God's goodness in my life. The Bible says, the heart's deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? How, How do we know if we really get it? because every one of our brains is going to convince us it'll lie to us it'll tell us you get it it'll tell us you understand it it'll tell us yeah yeah this person may not get it and that person but you get it you understand it so how do we really know if we get it or if we're not just self deceiving ourselves and and we're self deception convincing here's how we know we know based on our generosity generosity is a mark it's an indication of somebody who gets it they understand it they get it They're generous in return. Now, let me just clarify this real quick. Radical generosity, I want to caveat this because I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. Radical generosity is not about an amount of money. This is very important. It's about a spirit of sacrifice. That is to say, you you might be sitting next to somebody who... And the amount of money they give is far less than what you give. But yet, they could be far more generous than you are. Because generosity is not just measured by dollars and cents. Generosity is marked by a spirit of sacrifice. We'll say it this way around here sometimes. It's not about equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice. We can't look around and compare ourselves with yourselves and say, Well, I must be generous. I give more than that person, that person, that person. It might be... That God's grace has been so good to you. That you're, you can give more. But it's not as much of a sacrifice. And somebody who's giving less. They're giving more of a percentage. It's actually more of a sacrifice for them. And in, in doing so. Even though their money amount is less. Their generosity is more. And so I want to be very careful. That we, we don't define you know, radical generosity. In some monetary value. It's not about a monetary value. It's about a spirit of sacrifice. That's willing and wanting to respond to the goodness that God has given to them in a sacrificial manner. Luke 12 says this, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. Luke 12 verse 48. Giving to God is the reflexive response of someone who is truly aware of the grace of God in their lives. I could almost hear it now. Here are these people, the nation of Israel. Here they've given seven or eight billion, plus their king has given five billion. I mean, read it out, study it out. It's massive amounts of money because of how gripped they were with God's grace. They were just so overwhelmed with God's goodness, so overwhelmed with his generosity. They couldn't help but just give back and, and provide for that, them in that way. And he, and he gives, and they're generous. And, and I can hear somebody even saying now, well, I want, I, I, I want to be generous, but I just I just I can't afford to be generous, Pastor. I can't afford it. And I want to say this, that's the point. Because generosity forces you to trust the hand of the one who provides everything. That's what it's all about. You say, I can't afford it. Exactly, you can't. That's why it's so important. Because it forces your heart to change. It forces you to go from just talking about how you trust God to actually putting yourself in a position where you really are. <laughs> it goes from just kind of being something we, you know, chat about to something we live. The point is, I know we can't afford to be generous. I know it, which is exactly why God wants it. Rather, our generosity, once we can't afford it, flows from a heart that is convinced that it already has everything it needs in God, both in the present and in the future. Imagine for a moment, I pick my daughter up from school, and as I'm going there, I notice a little girl in her class. She looks poor, like she doesn't have a lot. I kind of hear that she hasn't had a meal her family can't provide for her to, to give her a lunch. And so I go to my wife and I say, Honey, why not tomorrow I want you to pack extra lunches in Ashlyn's box? It's, instead of just putting, you know, two in there, why don't you put four? And so the next day, Ashlyn goes to her school and she flips open her lunch box and sitting next to her is this little girl with nothing to eat. And she looks in her box and there's four sandwiches. More than she would need for that day. How many of you would, be, would think it would be strange if she thought to herself, well, I want to give her an extra sandwich, but, but what if my mom doesn't pack me a lunch tomorrow? I, I, better, I better save these sandwiches just in case my mom doesn't make me a sandwich tomorrow. You see, her lack of generosity says a lot about how she trusts her parents because if she truly trusted that after eating two sandwiches her belly was full she had two extra, she's free to give them away because she knows that her parents are good and her parents are benevolent and her parents are trustworthy to provide for her even in the future you see that's what generosity does Generosity is not just about what that person needs. It's about a trusting your heavenly father. In a moment, he gives you more. In a moment, he leads you to be generous, to give what you don't feel like you can give. This is not a financial issue. This is a trust issue. This is an issue of whether or not you can really put, if I can use the cliche, your money where your mouth is we talk about loving God we talk about the gospel we talk about how good and generous God is and sometimes the loudest among us about how good God is and how generous he is and we're real big about wanting everybody to know how great we think God is and all of a sudden, wait a second we, there's no real, authentic, genuine, radical generosity that matches what that word coming out of the mouth is and there, you see, when, it's, when you get it, you give it It's just how it works. Because when somebody's gripped with grace, God changes us from the inside out. This is not a budget issue. It's a trust issue. Now, I realize this is is the hardest message to sit through in a year at a church. And believe me, it's one of the hardest messages to preach at a church. Believe me. But we're going through the passages, and when the passages teach it, we're going to teach it. I want to encourage you to respond to the Spirit of God in radical generosity. But I will say this. Lest there be some, I don't think there would probably be very many, but if there's somebody here sitting and you're thinking, Ah, I get it now. (laughs) Pastor, is the church finances a little? Is that, is that what's inspiring this thing? You know, and just, are we struggling? Like you talked last week about needing air conditioning and ah, I'm seeing through this. I will say this. Our church finances are stronger right now than they were seven months ago. Okay, this is not about church budget issues. In fact, I'll, I'll say this. If, you are, if there's even a part of you right now that is sitting here and you kinda, you can, you're you kind of, well, I know my pastor's saying it's all about the money and I, I knew this and my friend told me that don't go to a church that talks about money or whatever the case may be. Here's what I'll say. I do believe based on the authority of that book that you should be radically generous. But if, if, you, if your heart can't trust the spirit of this place, here's what I'll say. Give it somewhere else. But be generous. That's my point. If you can't trust what God's work is doing here, that's fine. I understand that, okay? There's, I understand the world and the complexities and the messiness of the world we live in. But I am saying this, give. And give somewhere. Be generous. Be consistent in your giving. If you can't do it here, that's fine. But do it. Allow the Spirit of God to lead you. Because when you get the gospel, when you get what His grace does, you can be generous. And if you're looking for some nonprofits to support, I'll help you. <laughs> and if you're looking for, well, what about this? Or, I'll help you. That's, that's not the point. The point of this is it's not a budget issue. It's a heart issue. I am so, my heart is so burdened that we would not just be a church that knows how to talk the talk. But that our church would respond with the glory, to the gloriness of his gospel. And I'm going to say this. A church that is not generous doesn't get it. And I don't know how else to say it. You say, that sounds harsh. It's just, it's not means you're bad people. I'm not saying you're horrible, wicked, and you're all going to go to hell. (laughs) What I am saying is when you, when your heart is gripped with the goodness and the graciousness And the benevolence of a heavenly Father who sent His very own Son who gives you all things richly to enjoy when your heart and soul really gets it. Your heart changes. And there's a radical generosity that begins to take place. And all of a sudden the poor around you, you've got new eyes for them. There's a benevolence toward them. All of a sudden, you're not thinking just about the new couch you want. You're thinking about your children and your children's children. And maybe how could I save to be a blessing to them even even when I pass on? And how can I leverage what God has given me? How can I leverage that back to give to him to further kingdom work in Fresno? there's a radical heart shift that takes place and it's not about a budget issue it's not a financial issue it's a trust issue do I trust that when I give my heavenly father is gracious enough to provide tomorrow see we pray this prayer give us this year our yearly bread don't we what does the bible say give us this day See, what we do is like, okay, this day, and I would give with a little of tomorrow's bread, but ah, what if God doesn't provide tomorrow? Can I say this? You can trust your God. He'll provide. He will provide. Your God is strong enough to provide. Your God is big enough to provide. Your God is wise enough to provide and He's benevolent enough to provide. You can trust Him. Not just for today, but you can be freed from having to feel like you hoard and control your future with your money because you can anchor your trust to God. Because He's that good. He's that gracious. On the screens, the the most radical forms of generosity... The most radical forms of generosity do not flow out of a heart that gives because it will get something from God. This is very important. But rather generosity flows from the heart that is, it, that is convinced it already has everything it needs in God. Both in the present and for the future. Praise God. The, the Bible does teach that when we give there, there is... There's blessings for that. How many of you are thankful for that? But that's not why a gospel-oriented heart gives. A gospel-oriented heart doesn't give so it can get something else. Does that happen? Yes, a lot of times it does. But that's not why we give. That's not the motive. The motive we give is because we realize that everything our heart needs, everything our life needs, we have in the person of Christ. Jesus is enough to satisfy. He's giving me clothes. He's giving me food. I have what I need to be content. Therefore, I'm freed from materialism. I'm free from guilt, uh, 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 greed. I'm free from these things that would try to convince me that i got to hoard, hoard, hoard to control the rest of my life I'm free to trust and so I save money not because I'm trying to control my future so I can try to keep myself safe and secure so nothing can get to me I save because the Bible teaches it's a good thing and we're trusting God in our saving and we give not because pastor is going to pat us on the back and put a big plaque in the lobby of who gave the most money But we give because we recognize he has given me everything. We respond with generosity to the degree we truly understand God's grace in our lives. I'll throw this out how many of you man we look to other countries and we see the great needs that exist and we think about the needs that exist in third world countries and the lack of water and the lack of food and the orphanages that need help and and we look at the many countries that do not have the bible in their own language and they don't have missionaries there in those villages and we think to all the needs that exist in this very city and the homeless and we think about just the poor and we think about the kingdom work that needs to be done and the hearts and lives of people and it can seem so overwhelming but I want to simply say to you this that we as Christians I believe have all the resources we need in our bank accounts we have all the resources we need in our pockets as we come together led of the spirit to address the needs that our world has there are over a billion people in the world who call themselves Christians and if they would simply align themselves with what the Bible teaches and they would simply allow his spirit and be captured by his grace and allow that generosity that was given to them to be given through them I believe with every ounce of my being that the financial problems that the economic social problems that exist in our world and first and foremost the spiritual problems that exist in our world could be addressed with the resources that God has already given to us wow I was expecting a little more amen than that but hey that'll work (laughs) You see what I'm saying though? He's already given it. He's already entrusted to us. How are we going to respond to what he's given? Securing, and I want to say this, unless you're still not convinced, securing everything you think you want in this life will not ultimately satisfy you. This is just Bible. The things of this earth don't satisfy the way they promised to. And if you're sitting here and you're like, okay, I want to move forward in my heart spiritually and I want to move forward just kind of financially, you can try to get out of debt. But if your heart finds its identity in what you own, you'll never be able to overcome it. And you can read all the Dave Ramsey books and you can read all the Wall Street journals and you could read it all trying to figure out how to get financially stable. But if your heart finds its identity in what you own, you'll never get out of it. You can try to save money till you're blue in the face and do everything that some financial guru tells you to do. But if you're materialistic and greedy at your very core, you're just gonna, you're, it's going to be like two steps forward, three steps back, one step forward, two steps back, and you're going to feel like you're on a treadmill. Because at your core, the first thing that needs to be addressed is the heart. Once that is addressed, then you can make some momentum physically, financially. But it's 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 unwise to try to move forward financially if, if you're not also allowing your heart to get into alignment with what this book says. It, it's 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 both is important. You can try to be generous and I oh, bless God and I I'm, I'm gonna start giving. I I I, I feel like Pastor is gonna you know put me on a guilt trip or something if I don't give. And I hope that's not your heart. And I, definitely, I want to promise you, it's not my spirit. In fact, until like. I started studying this I had no intention a month ago of preaching on money this week none zero partly because we don't need it in this moment today but I came to the passage that's what the passage teaches guess what you get what the passage teaches I found this out after I studied it you can try to be generous but if at your core your heart is stingy it's just not going to work You deal with the heart first, and then you deal with the financial. If you try to deal with the financial without dealing with the heart, it's just, it's never going to get the momentum that it needs. Because financial stability does not produce generosity. Generosity, my friend, produces financial stability. Because there's something that happens when I allow God to rule and reign and be the king of my finances. He changes me from the inside out. He gets me to a place where I no longer have to hold so tightly and try to control my future and try to live and try to convince myself that I need this, I need this. He changes my heart and all of a sudden with it all the financial practicalities can begin to fall into place. Can I say this? Our hope for becoming more generous is not in winning the lottery. You say, I'm going to be more generous, Pastor. When I win that lottery, we're going to to be so generous. Your hope for generosity is not in winning the lottery. Well, you say, I'm going to be more generous one day. I'm working at this promotion, and you'll you'll see, pastors. As soon as I get this promotion, and and we make a little bit more, you'll see. We're going to be more generous. Our hope is not in a promotion. Well, you know, I'll become more generous, you know, when that inheritance finally comes in, you know. There's this, uh, you got to understand, I got this uncle and da 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 da, da. Now, As soon as that burns out, we're going to be generous. <laughs> our hope is not in some inheritance. You know what our hope for generous, generosity is? It's becoming obsessed with the riches that are already ours in the person of Jesus Christ. That is where our hope for generosity lies. And really getting... That regardless of what this person does or those people do or these people do because of what I've been given in the person of Christ and the riches that are mine in his grace and really allowing that reality to saturate me mentally and allowing that reality to saturate me financially and emotionally and physically and allowing what he did for me and what he did in me and the riches that he bestowed upon me at the point of justification when I become obsessed and really allow that to change my worldview and mindset that the focus on Jesus Christ is our hope for future generosity our hope is Jesus nothing can keep you from experiencing the riches that are already yours in Christ his generosity will never fail even when your generosity fails isn't it amazing to think that God continues to be generous toward us even when we're not generous. Even when we're not generous, He continues to allow our heart to beat. And even when we kind of become a little stingier, a little over materialistic, He continues to allow our lungs to take an air. Because you have a God that is generous, who is benevolent, who is good, even when you're not. And that is the glorious reality of the gospel. That yeah, he reigns upon the just and the unjust. You say, that's not fair. I'm so glad our God is not fair. You know where I'd be headed if my God was fair? You know where you would be headed if your God was fair? So glad he's not. But when we're captured by His grace and our heart is gripped by the realities of what was ours and the riches of His grace there's just a generosity that begins to flow. When we get it we give it. We give it. Here's, here's it is. If you needed a statement. Pastor I don't know what you've been talking about this whole time. Let me throw one statement on the screen. Grace living when I live within the realities of the grace that's been given to me. Grace living produces generous giving sermon in a nutshell when I bask in the realities of his grace it's going to produce some levels of generosity generosity toward the poor generosity toward my family generosity toward future generations generosity toward the kingdom work and let me say lest I put a burden a yoke a, a burden upon you my heart is to remind you of this this we are not talking about a financial amount right now Because I I wouldn't be able to, every one of you, it's going to be, what sacrificial generosity is for one person is going to be totally different than what it is for somebody else. But I am going to say this. When we really get a hold of what God did for me in extreme excess, there is kind of a radical generosity that begins to happen. And it may start at a 10%. But as you grow in grace, all of a sudden you'll find in grace giving, you're given More. You're given to benevolent needs. You're giving to work. Why? Because there's a growing in grace, and I'm so thankful. We have we have several families here who've grown in grace to a to a level that it's not just about well, what technically am I supposed to? I mean, there's just a lavish grace generosity, and it's it's far more than a ten percent. And they're giving to these people, and they're giving to that, and they're saving. Why? Because their heart has been so gripped by God's grace, it just overflows. Toward a world around them, because grace living, basking in the realities of God's grace, produces generous living. It is never, never the other way around. Well, when I get financially stable, then I'll be generous. No, it's generosity that creates. It does something inside of you. It changes you from the inside out. That allows you to get financially stable. It does something. It deals with the heart the heart of what's making it tough for you to get financially stable because, because generosity deals with greed and it, it deals with materialism and it messes with the control issues that we have about the future and it, it aligns everything. Generosity changes that financial situation. So here's my question. What, what's, what keeps you from growing in generosity? What is it that keeps me at seasons from growing and advancing in my trust of God's goodness for my future. Radical generosity does not start with figuring out how much I can give. It never starts there. Radical generosity always starts by realizing how much has already been given to you in Christ. That's where generosity begins. Here were the people of Israel so gripped with God's graciousness toward them and goodness toward them, they knew they didn't deserve it. King David was an adulterer. He was a man who had made many mistakes. He murdered a man. And he comes to the end of his life in this prayer and says, God, you've been so merciful to me. You've been so gracious to me. You've been so benevolent. You had poured blessing upon me when I didn't deserve it. And yes, at times you corrected me. And at times you chastened me. But it wasn't because you hated me. But it wasn't because you wanted to do me harm. You wanted to get me to deeper fellowship with you. God, you've been so good to me even though I have not. And so God, I give back. David, while not a perfect man, was a man who was deeply gripped with the hero of his story. And the hero of his story was not himself, the hero of his story was God. He, he, God, was his hero. How's this working for you? Are you gripped with what God did for you through his son, Jesus Christ? How's our generosity? Does it reflect what we view the gospel to truly be? If we're cheap with our generosity, it might be a sign that we view what Jesus did to be cheap. No big deal. Eh. Yeah, thankful for it. See, it matches, it reveals how we view the cross and salvation and His grace. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father.